0: Episode of The Last Week Out. My name is Chudzy, aka Fought a Man for a Sombrero Once, (laughs) Wubsy. To my left is Vince Lombardi. Football champion. He was. 18 minutes early to breakfast and then he texted david and i and said yo am i too early for this thing and i was like no vince lombardi it's all good
1: chad who is vince lombardi
0: vince lombardi is (laughs) the or was the head coach of the packers and one of his most famous things that he ever said or quotes would be if you ain't 15 minutes early you're late wow dude fucking give me an applause on that one yeah give him the applause uh, I
2: had no idea. I thought he was just try saying to, a fun yeah, name
0: this morning. <laughs> I try to live my life by that, dude. If I'm 15 minutes late, then I'm right on time, dude. If That's what I do. you ain't 1st last. Dude, yeah. Well, that don't make no damn sense. You I, could be second,
3: third, <laughs> hell, you could even be fourth. <laughs> that doesn't even sound like something I'd say. <laughs> uh,
0: all right, you be quiet until I'm done doing introductions. Did you hear me? <laughs> first off, I want to apologize for last week because mm. I had a potty mouth, dude. It was <laughs> bad. It was really bad. So if my listeners out there, if you're part of the Catholic matriarchy or any kind of religious, <laughs> you know, thing. Uh, or just, you, a or just a decent human being. Or just a decent human being who doesn't like <laughs> cursing. I am so sorry for last week, and I am going to do my best <laughs> to not let that happen again. And I promise you that. So Vince Lombardi to my left. Dr. David Slack to my right on the ones Sucks and twos. And then you know me, Chud Z. And we got a special guest today, dude. And every guest is special, but this guest is extra special, dude. And we, him and I have been going back and forth. He's bald, but I have a beautiful head of hair, but he's got everything else I've ever wanted, dude. And all I've got that he wants is hair, dude. But he rocks the bald (laughs) head so good, dude. And he's just, uh, and to just stop with all the theatrics for a second, um, (laughs) he's a. a person that's a part of our community, and for our listeners, you know, our community is that of the sober variety. And uh, you know, he's just been someone that I've always looked up to. And he's one of those dudes you see when you see him, you're intimidated by him because he's so goddamn good-looking, dude. Uh-huh. And he's just fuck, he's shred. Well, yeah, I go with the cursing. I'm sorry. He's shredded and breaded, dude. And he's a good-looking dude. Mm-hmm. And he is a CEO, <laughs> an entrepreneur, and just a light. He's the beam of light and a dark, dark world, and his name is Mr. Astal Wallace. Yeah.
1: Hey, and so about five minutes ago, right before we started, I was oh, like, hey, yeah, Chad, yeah, you yeah, going to yeah, remember yeah, the yeah, plugs? Yeah, and yeah, he's yeah, like, yeah, yeah dude, yeah, I got yeah, it. Yeah, Leave yeah, me alone. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Hey,
0: <laughs> yeah. Hey, 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 let me tell you something right now, dude. <laughs> I am the command. I am Commander K.U.D. And you know what, dude? That's okay, man, and I'm gonna do those plugs right now, dude. So this here podcast is brought to you by Butt Out E Cigs, dude. And let me tell you something, Butt.
1: Good. I
0: hate when you do that when I'm talking, dude. That's
1: the drop for the plug, dude. Oh, okay. Well, thanks for telling
0: me about that, dude. Awesome. So, Butt Out E Cigs, dude. They got an online store, and they got everything you need: hardware, juice, memes. They don't got memes, but you could. David, get memes on the website for the for the people, dude. People <laughs> want to see memes, dude. Done. And guess, check this out, dude. They're gonna you put in a promo code last week out. Anthony, what are they gonna get if they you, put in that promo code?
2: You guys will get twenty percent off anything you buy, and you can ship it directly to your door. It's like Amazon for your vape needs. Wow.
0: Because mm-hmm, you can't get vape stuff on Amazon, dude. I've tried. Trust me and just yeah get on there dude 20% off it's a great deal Uh, that lo-fi banger our intro music is brought to you by DJ Devin Hancock and all our banners and artwork uh, is brought to you by Sissy Art and you can follow them on Instagram and they got some really cool stuff going on now I'm going to pass it to Vince okay
2: thank you Estel thanks for coming man thank you for having me yeah no seriously I know you're a I know you're a busy guy um, and so I appreciate you fitting us into our schedule breakfast was great Um, I know a lot about you but I'm going to act a bit naive to a little bit of your background just because it's best for our listeners so I'll ask you a rhetorical seeming question
3: sure anything you like okay
2: so um, tell us a little bit about where you come from where were you born oh I'm
3: gonna start way at the Let's from the back very, let's go way back from the very beginning Where were to a time
0: going? long long ago in a galaxy far far away
3: uh, I was born in the sticks place called Clinton Missouri mm-hmm. uh, <clears throat> my biological parents are alcoholics never really straightened out was left in foster care uh, not sure the age somewhere between six and nine months old I don't know and then was adopted at about a year and a half maybe 20 months was adopted by my grandparents on my dad's side mm-hmm. okay was that out in Clinton, Missouri? That was in Clinton. Okay. Did you have siblings that were in foster care with you? Uh, no. I have uh, a year later, approximately the same month, I'm born in October, so either in September October of the next year, 78, mm-hmm. my biological mother gave birth to another son to her recollection that it was a boy, but it was closed adoption, never been able to find him. Really? Yeah. So that's your so half-brother is out there somewhere. Either half or whole. Uh, She claimed it was uh, my biological father's, that he's a whole brother, Uh, of course he claims it's not. So is Wallace your grandfather on your dad's side? Yeah. Yeah? Yeah. Okay. So, Clinton, Missouri, you grew up there, you went to school there? No, 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 I grew up out here. Okay. I was adopted just before I was two, moved out here, so I did pre-K, kindergarten, through high school, everything out here. How were you as a student? Uh, terrible really yeah you're so you're a smart guy well i appreciate the vote of confidence but no uh we have never cared for scholastics uh was
1: interested in music uh, skateboarding Did you ever get the teachers coming down and telling your parents oh he has so much potential mm-hmm. he just doesn't apply himself oh, yeah. oh it's the worst. yeah that was the talk
3: that was the regular talk <laughs> uh, i'm i'm older i'm 41 now so <clears throat> when i was a little kid we didn't have the internet yet so Report cards had to be walked home. <laughs> yeah, there they, was some there was some buffer of like ah, report cards didn't come to this week. Yeah, yeah, they went <laughs> missing. You constantly. could get away with that a little bit, not too long, but.
2: So did bad in school. Did you stay in school? Did you finish?
3: Uh, I didn't. I failed the fifth grade. Wow, I failed the fifth grade in public school, and was put into private school, private Christian. School.
2: Were they like diagnosing you with stuff for the reason, or were you just kind of like no. an unruly kid?
3: Yeah, it's just a tough kid. They never diagnosed me with anything. I never saw a therapist or anything. No. Ended up uh, at a parochial school fifth grade through sophomore year, and I declared I would not return. <laughs> I'd finally had my fill and went back, returned to public school, went to Arcadia High School, where I, I rejoined all my classmates from my childhood. A lot of those kids I still hung out with over the years, but cause this is my neighborhood. But I went back to school, did junior year, and most of my senior year, I did not graduate. Arcadia High School.
2: Yeah, skateboarding, degenerate lifestyle.
3: Yeah, I was a blackout drinker by sophomore, sophomore, junior year, like end of my sophomore year, I was blackout drinker. Who did you learn that from? I you just, just picked it
2: up and just drank. Yeah video games yeah (laughs) well the older kids were you hanging out with the older kids not
3: particularly no no were you a popular kid so I have I have three I have four I have three uncles plus my biological father on in in my household so I grew up having basically three brothers and an absentee biological father so by law all three all four of them are my brothers did so did your dad come in the picture and intermittently between all of this yeah, his name's Scott. Uh, I never, I never called him dad. Uh, my adopted parents, I always called mom and dad. They right. Didn't, I didn't know I was adopted till I was seven. Okay. So, as I got older, yeah, there were some, there were some random meetings. Mm-hmm. I got to meet him uh, that first time when I was seven, and then later, I don't know when I was maybe twelve or something. Then again, uh, I guess I must have been eighteen or nineteen, and I dosed him one time actually. What does that mean? I gave him some really strong LSD. Holy mm. shit, dude. I didn't
1: really know the guy. I knew he was- Wait, he was... like on purpose or you slipped it into his drink? No, he, he took it okay. willingly. Okay,
3: He took it willingly. <laughs> but he's been in and out of recovery my whole life. Never never been present in my life. I really don't know the guy, which is interesting because my, my parents that adopted me, they'd always warned me like, hey, you should be careful around alcohol. We've got alcoholism in our family. Your biological father's an alcoholic. And so I knew what AA was, and I'd heard of the Salvation Army and things like that. And I'd always, whenever I thought of him, that's what I equated. I equated it to a bunch of weird old guys that smoke and drink coffee and don't stay sober. That makes sense. Yeah, it's just some weird shit for old people that doesn't work. Mm -hmm. Kids are usually, this is something
2: that I'm picking up on the more I talk to people, is kids are like incredibly resilient. And so
3: were you resentful as a kid at this man? Not knowing, not really consciously, as a kid. Not until, not until I, not until my alcoholism and drug addiction really took hold. Then I started getting pretty pissed. Yeah. When I started trying to peel back the veil and understand why my life was so fucked up, that's when I started to blame and and look for answers where there were none. Right. Boom! It's his fault.
1: <laughs> so. Fuck you! You're he's not the, my dad.
3: <laughs> he's the reason I got
0: a receding hairline at nineteen. Right.
3: <laughs> it's pretty close, yeah.
2: <laughs> so you are dropping out of high school what's your ambition at that time in your life
3: anything no not uh skateboard yeah go to all the places i saw in uh, 411 videos
2: yeah old school old school who is your favorite skateboarders
3: back in the day oh jamie thomas
2: okay ed templeton leap of faith Yeah, yeah of course okay okay yeah, Ed Templeton's cool. That's toy
3: machine stuff. Yeah, I remember yeah, I got yeah. a
2: signature from him back when I was a kid.
3: Yeah, Bam Margera when he was amateur. Cky2k stuff. Yeah, spent a summer skateboarding with uh, Jim Greco and Ali Bowala.
2: What, dude? That's sick.
3: Yeah, they're That's they're nuts. I don't know what those guys are up to today. Uh, I, but, <clears throat> alcoholism. Maybe I honestly have no idea. But we drank a lot then. We drank a lot then. All we did was drink and skate. And there are there are times looking back uh, at. Those years of my life, that there were there was fun in it. It's not like it was all misery, mm-hmm. uh, and I think it's that way for a lot of people. But by and large, there, I was always trying to find a way out of it. Mm-hmm. I was always trying to find a way out of it and couldn't couldn't piece that together. Uh, no, no real ambitions. I wasn't good enough to go pro at skateboarding. I was pretty good, but not good enough to make a living at it. And I wasn't really good at anything else. And I had, had full blown alcoholism, you know so there was no there was no i didn't go to college i didn't have any trade i didn't have were you into like were you dating at all or just kind of being a floozy Uh more on the floozy side really um i don't know if you want to get into all this stuff but uh yeah my relationships with women were very bad uh until i got sober it was literally doing a sex inventory for the first time complete paradigm shift hadn't had a spiritual awakening of any kind right literally had it did a fifth step and was like treated women differently like the next day moving forward and have sense that's powerful stuff yeah we'll get into sort of the
2: shift and so how long did you drink and use drugs like you're in your 13 14 15 dropping out of school skateboarding where does that lifestyle kind of take you um, throughout the country, do you continuously move?
3: What in, sort of happened during sure. all that time? Sure. Uh, 18, almost 19. Uh, it was sort of a mutual exit from my home of origin Yeah, with my, with my parents, my grandparents. And uh, a friend of mine and I, uh, we both left Arizona together in my car. It was a 1990 Ford Escort, white hatchback. <laughs> Pretty sweet and uh we we lived homeless in san diego for a while what does that mean like We're just out of a car literally out of a car yeah the car still ran at that point so um it's a decent car shitty home <clears throat> yeah yeah <laughs> well anybody that's ever lived out of a car knows you don't really sleep in a car not I mean, comfortably. no sleeping in a car is like having sex in a car it sounds a lot better on paper than it than it is it in actual practice out. yeah
0: <laughs> but i mean any place to be homeless san diego's got to be the spot
1: any place to have sexism. <laughs> <laughs> Touche on both.
3: Yeah, uh, it wasn't, yeah, well, not the worst place uh, geographic. A lot, a, look, the United States is a level four income country, so it's like you could be homeless anywhere <laughs> within this country and not be too bad, and then you start adding a geographic region of, like, yeah, a place like San Diego that doesn't get hotter than 90 and doesn't get colder than, like, 50. Yeah, it's pretty sweet. Mm-hmm. Yeah, in context. And so, how long do you do that? Uh, about a year. Traveled up and down the, the West Coast. Uh, stayed in Santa Rosa for a while. Stayed in uh, San Bernardino for a while. Yeah. Yeah, we went to a, a rainbow gathering. If you're familiar with these things, these I don't hip, know what that is. Hippie gatherings from these are. It's like the like the people that go like. There's a subculture of people that go to like Burning Man and mm-hmm. go to, and used to follow the dead and fish. Yeah, our guy last our, our guest last week. Was a avid, dead follower. Fish, so he, he was a so fish he's so he's so he's probably been to at least one Rainbow Family gathering. Okay, but they're big hippie gatherings. Uh, they're usually around Fourth of July, and they're massive—thousands, sometimes tens of thousands of people. So did you you did that once though? You weren't yeah, like a very big follower. Ha, no, very haphazardly. I'm not really a hippie. Um, I got we were in Santa Rosa, uh, stealing watermelons, cooking ramen in the park, sleeping at the skate park, just skating every day and getting high, and drinking. And some guys we were smoking weed with were like, dude, you guys go into this thing in the woods? And we're like, what thing in the woods? Yeah, I think we are. <laughs> I'm interested already. <laughs> Will there be drugs there? Yeah. So they were just like, yeah, it's a bunch of hippies. They smoke a bunch of weed and they take hallucinogens. And, yeah, it lasts for a few weeks. It's just like festival thing. We're like, cool. I thought it'd be a few hundred people. We got out there. It was like, like 50,000 people. My mind was blown. My buddy and I that drove there together, we parked my car. We went down and we set up. Everybody, nobody uses money. They all trade, right? Bartering. Yeah, so we lay out like a towel because we don't have any blankets. Because we're not hippies. We're like we're like grungy homeless skateboarder <laughs> city kids. So we like throw out a towel, like a beach towel, <clears throat> with like old skate shoes and shit. And people just start handing us LSD and mushrooms, and we start frying. Dave was like, I'm going to go check out some other stuff. I'm like, cool. And we got separated for like five or six
1: days.
3: (laughs) When I finally made it back to the car. And I mean, you guys have been to a drum circle? Yes. All right. Mm -hmm. So drum circles like four or 500 drums deep.
2: Oh, okay. Not I've never been naked in that men, sort naked of drum women, <laughs>
3: people dancing around these huge bonfires, and there'd be three, four of these circles going as soon as the sun went down. It was bonkers. I'd never seen anything like this. I was not really exposed to the hippie culture. Okay. It was like actually was four like... people, but you're just super high. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Right. yeah. By the time I made it back to the car, he was asleep in the car, and I was like, "Thank God." And we just started driving towards Portland. We were literally like driving over the Burnside Bridge, and he woke up and he's like, "Dude." Are we still in the woods? And I was like, nope. We're almost at Burnside Skate Park, buddy. We're going to go take sink baths and get something to eat. <laughs> so
2: fast forward me through the next few years. Because I know your story consists
3: of pretty tragic alcoholism, which I relate to. A lot of, lot of, rando, lot of rando occurrences. A yeah. lot, of, lot of heartbreaking, otherwise, uh, un, otherwise unmonumental moments. Yeah, Like nothing noteworthy particularly, except that you know when you hit bottom and you just kind of camp out? make Just, just live Make there. acquaintances? Yeah. 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 I did that for years. Uh, the last couple of years of of my drinking and using, I, try, I was trying to get sober like two to three times a month. What were you trying to do to get sober? Um, I was trying to just smoke weed or not do any drugs or drink at all. Uh, I was trying to... Let's see if I could stay sober for two weeks. Let's see if I could drink malt liquor but not do any other drugs. Let me see if I can... I would try to come up with a million different concoctions.
2: Did you have anybody around you that was modeling for you how to functionalize this stuff?
3: No, no. didn't know anybody that was sober.
2: Yeah, I remember feeling like that was I was just kind of winging it, but I knew that I didn't want to use...
3: Yeah, I felt like I was the only person trying to stay sober out of the people I knew. Because everybody I knew was dying, going to prison, or was as bad or worse shaped than I was. I mean, I knew that there was a... D-Day was coming. Like I had to... It was like an army, like a, like a like a ghost army after me, as you know, you guys know what it feels like. Yeah, well, in the last days of using, like I knew this somehow or other, this was gonna this was gonna go bad and it was gonna end.
2: I'm about to use the title of the movie in the movie right here, but
3: take me to the last week out. <laughs> uh, last week out. I get <clears throat> all right. I'll tell you the long version. I guess I'll try and shorten where I can. I decide I'm walking down the street I've just traded a, uh, an expensive mountain bike by expensive I mean probably like five or six thousand dollar mountain bike uh, for uh, pretty expensive yeah that's very expensive for, yeah for in the world of mountain biking it's like a real bike yeah um, that's like a decently functioning car yeah I traded it for a quarter ounce of methamphetamine 50 bucks and a pocket knife
1: and I'm and you I'm make s- them throw in the pocket knife you're like give me that knife dude. yeah I'm gonna need <laughs> I, need, I, I need a knife right I, need, I, I didn't,
3: couldn't afford a gun I'm not a very good fighter, so I uh I'm walking down the street as loaded as I could get myself <clears throat> and the feeling is not in my stomach that I've had since I was a little kid. Walking a bad report card home, for example.
2: Yeah, how old are you?
3: When, when this, this, this last week I'm twenty six. Okay. Twenty six and you know, five or six months. And uh this this feeling, this this feeling that my life is not what it was supposed to be and that it's instead of, and I couldn't even articulate what my life was supposed to be at that point, Mm -hmm. but I knew I was so far removed from it and I was just disgusted and remorseful and misanthropic and suicidal borderline. We'll say suicidal. I never actually attempted. Mm -hmm. although I thought about it a lot of time, a lot of times. Um, and as I was walking down the street, I couldn't shake that feeling. I couldn't put enough drugs in my body to shake that feeling. And I knew, I knew the gig was up. I knew something had to change. Either I, had to, I either had to pony up and end my life or or try and figure out what getting sober looked like because I couldn't understand how, how else to manage. And I ended up going uh, trying to get in the Salvation Army. I couldn't get in right away. It's not like you just walk up and they take you. I called down there and they're like, "That sounds great. You need to drop a clean UA, and we only do intakes on Tuesdays." Yeah, dude. And I'm like, "Oh fuck." <clears throat> I'm like, it took everything in my soul, what's left of a soul, to call, pick up the phone, and call you. Now you're telling me I have to do all this <laughs> shit. So they, uh, yeah, they gave me the parameters. I'm sleeping outside. I'm picking cigarette butts in front of a Circle K on Forty-fourth Street in Osborne. Oof, it's my hood too. It's where I grew up. And I'm picking cigarette butts, and a kid that I went to high school with, uh, his family's pretty successful, they run an AC business, still do, and he had just gotten out of prison about a year before that, so he's buff, dude, he's driving a big work truck, he's clean cut, he's working at the family business, he's doing great. He pulls up and he sees me and he's like, Estel? And I'm like, hey.
1: What's up,
3: dude? <laughs> I'm so happy to see you right now. Hey, you got a dollar? <laughs> <laughs> and... uh he asked me how I was doing, and I was like, "You know what, Over man? For, dick. <laughs> for the first time, I'm trying to I'm trying to get sober." And he was like, "For real?" And I said, "Yeah, man. I'm gonna go to the Salvation Army as soon as I can drop a clean i I'm hoping by Tuesday." And he was like, "All right, man. Cool." Puts me in the car, took me to his house, let me sleep on his couch for like four nights. Oh, nice. I watched I watched them uh, eat, drink, and be merry, and I did not I did not engage in drinking or smoking the bong with them, and I was able to. Get into the Salvation Army. He gave me a dollar twenty-five. What was a dollar fifty, dollar twenty-five, I think, to ride the bus down. Yeah. And I checked in. My, my UA was still hot after six days. So for anybody listening that thinks they can pull off a clean UA in three days, that's not true. Uh, it's a myth. <laughs> it is a myth, and I thought that for so long. Three days drinking bleach, taking niacin. Right. <laughs> anyway, <clears throat> after being there nine days, or being in there three days, I had to stay sober six days. Got in. I'm there I'm 9 days sober. Full blown full blown <sighs> I mean you could call it a panic attack but it's it's really it's really me unable to deal with the overwhelming reality of my own life. Tears streaming down my face, nuts, guts twisting into knots. And I and I packed my shit and I left. On my way out the door, Chris King actually tried to stop me. No kidding. Chris is a mutual friend of ours. We yeah. all know Chris. Yeah, he's a executive director over at Five A. He was—he's uh, my oldest friend in sobriety. He—he he was like, "Dude, there's nothing out there for you," and I was like, "Fuck this place." Uh-huh. And I just walked—I walked out the door. I went and I—I uh, I got high with this biker chick I know. And when I got high that time, the drugs worked again, and it felt like this. And all that overwhelming anxiety the remorse the guilt the shame didn't go away but it really toned down Mm -hmm. and the drug was was being effective again it did what i needed it to do which is to be able to tolerate my own existence so it did that and i i got picked up on asu campus a few days later on a children's mountain bike looking for a better bicycle to steal (laughs) so this was not a five thousand dollar bike no 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 was reintroduced to 12 step fellowships uh in durango jail nice and yeah checked into the solution when i got out of jail backpack with one change of dirty clothes a pair of bolt cutters and a kitchen knife oh my god they let
1: you keep the bolt cutters
3: yeah they gave them back to me (laughs) nice super weird for uh, (laughs) our listeners the
2: solution is a sober living we call it a halfway house um as it's you know saved a lot of people it's actually not around anymore but that 5a the company that owns it actually is and i know you've done a lot of work for them as well so you check in a solution and then why did kind of what happened to you in the salvation army not happen again why didn't that awareness just pile on you because you said something that was like you know you're sitting in the salvation army and you had what you you can p- like call a, a panic attack but you kind of look at it as like the reality of your life showed up
1: well, you know just you were saying about the salvation army like you, after a few days there, you're like, fuck. I, I feel like that after their, being there for an hour. So, <laughs> sober, just going to visit someone. I'm like, fuck this place.
0: <laughs> hey, watch your language, please. <laughs>
1: um, what was different was while
3: I was in Durango jail, I heard a guy uh, who brought in a 12-step meeting share his experience. And even though externally our circumstances were very different, he's what we call a high bottom, mm-hmm. and I'm more of middle to lower bottom, he, he shared very specifically about the feelings, about how he felt why he couldn't stay sober because he fucking hated himself and he hated the world around him the longer he stayed sober the sicker he got until he finally gave in and drank which alleviated the pressure but then he couldn't drink responsibly so then his life would spiral out of control after a few months and then he'd get sober again and as he went round and round that, that cycle verbally mm-hmm. and it was able to articulate it that connected with me I'd never heard anybody talk about it before I'd never said it out loud before I didn't know I literally didn't know that anybody else was experiencing the nightmare I was experiencing to hear him sh- to share it, talk about it openly, and then name it, I was kind of blown away. Yeah, man. And then they gave me a big book, uh-huh. so I'm in I'm in Durango reading this little tiny book, being like having the, having like aha moment after aha moment. Like, have you guys fucking seen this thing <laughs> written in the thirties? It's written about me. You know, I'm having one of those I'm having one of those newcomer moments. That
0: man is on fire.
3: <laughs> yeah, so that was the. That was the That was the flimsy reed, so to speak, that I was hanging on to. That was my anchor point was this guy's experience. He clearly knew the darkness that I was living with. and I well,
1: knew it's, it's interesting because some people are just more equipped for like living on the street or going to jail or, or prison those things.' Sure. like I'm not you know, but if I relate to like the, just the, the cycle that you're talking about is, is, is what we can all kind of relate to. yeah uh, and that was
3: the, and that was and ultimately that's what I believe the problem is with alcoholics and drug addicts. I think many people suffer for existentially to some degree or other, but when someone is, their default is substance use, then you're going to, it's a recipe for death. If you, if you can't become, if you can't discover and fulfill your own purpose in life, and the only thing you can do to, to, to not feel that, to not engage in that existential suffering is to get loaded. Dude, I have bad news. This ends bad for you and everyone you know. I mean, that's, that's not, that's not, there's not a happy ending in that story. It's awful. And you guys know from personal experience and from how many people you've watched Mm -hmm. struggle with this in order to find peace and lasting recovery, I had to discover for myself and fulfill, pursue at least my purpose.
2: Yeah, man. I mean, that's that's huge. And that's something that I think for a lot of us, we are focusing on, you know, and especially in longer term recovery. And I know that we have a lot to talk to you about as far as the things that you've experienced, because You know that's just the first step in your life was like okay now you've you've recovered from alcoholism that's beating the shit out of you (laughs) and then we know that you know there's been quite a trek after that and that's going to be some really powerful stuff we're at the 29 minute mark what we're going to do is we're going to take a break and we'll just pick up from here and kind of go through a few things going on thank you guys so much for listening and uh we'll be right back
0: see you in two minutes and 37 seconds yeah We're back, and we're back, and David's trying to box me out. I didn't touch the volume, dude. I see your I see your pointy little fingers, dude. Just trying to move knobs around, dude, and box me out, bro. I see what you're trying to do, and you know what? That's okay, dude. That's okay. And I was gonna say some other stuff. We're coming back from break and I'm just sitting here listening and having a good time, so I'm gonna pass it back to Mr. Vince Lombardi, dude.
2: Yeah, thank you. So we took a break. Uh, Estelle's covered a lot of ground and uh, I've known you Estelle for six some years and I know that there's a couple of things I really wanted to touch on um, that you've gone through and we talked before and so you get into recovery and that's where we're at last your life seems pretty small fit in a backpack with bolt cutters and a pocket knife you basically said
0: kitchen knife yeah
2: (laughs) and looking at your life now um, you are a father you are a husband, your business owner. I've actually seen you run a, quite a few businesses. Um, you're a role model in our community and I'm sure other communities as far as business and things of that nature goes. So I kind of want to talk about that transition for you because you know, no, going from no ambition and then getting into recovery, where did you sort of learn to model this seller? Where did you pick up with ambition? Like, was it like, oh, at the Sober Living now i'm now i'm the guy <laughs> you know because you said you did an inventory in your um sexual deviancy sort of transition pretty quickly
3: uh yeah that 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 changed immediately mm-hmm. uh, once my pattern once my unhealthy pattern was exposed and i was aware of it i wasn't aware of it before but literally like a like a switch flipped i just behaved differently yeah um with with in respects to finding ambition so the first, you know, couple of years of recovery was just chopping wood and carrying water. Right. Just learning how to do the daily thankless tasks of normal human life, getting on with the business of living and mm-hmm. being a decent human being. And in that, I found my purpose in life. Which is? To be a good dude and help people. Yeah. Mm. That's really at the core. That's it. You're fulfilling that purpose, dude. Well, I appreciate that. That's uh, that's what I'm up to. Um, and in that... That's that's taken on a lot of different forms, but around two and a half years of sobriety, I had I kind of came to a head with just being a good twelve step member and working a shitty job and not being in very good shape and not really <clears throat> bringing a lot to the table of life and unable to really articulate it. What I think happened is after my dad died. Your my grandfather. Your grandfather. Yeah, uh, he died when I was 18 months sober, and as I healed through, he died in Christmas time. So as I hit two years sober, like around that time, I I was starting to manage that grief, mm-hmm. and and I, I came to the conclusion that I wasn't gonna get loaded, that I wasn't gonna return, that knot wasn't gonna return to my stomach, and when that when that became apparent, that I wasn't I wasn't done for, that my life wasn't over and that I was probably gonna live and I was probably gonna stay sober as long as I kept doing this stuff. The very next thought was like, oh shit. Yeah, there's a lot of work now. Damn. I don't know what I wanna be <laughs> when I grow up. <laughs> I'm fucking 29 years old, I got no clue. So what did you do? Um, I, got, I got busy with my sponsor, I got, uh, got some pen and paper and I started putting down, started my first attempt at articulating what I wanted my future to look like. And I started reading. I became an avid reader. It's weird, I, like uh, I, within a within like a six month period, I became like this type A personality. And just, I read a lot and I, my work ethic got really good. And I started, I joined a gym, I started a business. It wasn't like one day, like, hey, I'm gonna go take it out in the world. It just, you know, I was sick of being skinny fat. And so I joined a gym. And the girl I was with was like, you're never gonna go. And I was like, oh i'm gonna try <laughs> so i'm gonna go do this did you go yeah i still go does she like your instagram posts i don't know i'm not uh, <laughs> i haven't been in contact with her in a long long time yeah Actually, dude because I went.
0: hey your your instagram when you're in the selfie with your kids in the mirror in the bathroom and you got your shirt off i'm like dude <laughs> that's fift- yo that's a cute kid and i'm not talking about the little girls i'm talking about you <laughs>
3: my 15 year post yeah <laughs> thank you um yeah, you know, uh, I had these self-limiting beliefs <clears throat> about money and about family and about fitness and about ultimately about my self-worth mm-hmm. that I think got turned on its head. And there was a lot of there were a lot of things that played into it, and the result <clears throat> was a, a new ambition for life, a new a new hunger for life to go out and push the envelope,
2: mm-hmm.
3: and. With a with a with a solid home base, a solid foundation of like, I'm gonna be a good twelve step guy. I'm gonna sponsor people. I'm gonna try to be the best person I can with everybody I meet, and try and help out as often as I can. With that as the foundation, and like, I was like, what's the worst that's gonna happen? I live in a shitbox anyway. Right. I'm like, why don't I just try and start a business? I can always get another crappy job. It's not well, like I was leaving, uh, taking these big risks on a daily basis. <laughs> how do you not sort of
2: fall back into whatever it was that was going on prior because i i mean for our listeners what we hear is like so you, you stop drinking you stop smoking meth awesome right you're doing what 97 percent of the united states are doing and then for you welcome it's back to the living <laughs> welcome <laughs> but when i look at you you're incredibly resilient you know like i i don't remember a time and and you're probably you obviously go through things and for you how do you stay in this mindset that you're in,
3: right now. Uh, it's self fulfilling, uh, just like the just like the negative self talk and the self limiting beliefs. It's it works conversely. Okay. So when the creative process takes hold, uh, it works. It works on pretty much everything. Um, you know, you think about something, you talk about it, and you do it. In twelve step recovery, we're taught the opposite, right? You act your way into right thinking, and with that armed with that, I then was able to go out and start recreating through that same creative process in reverse, all kinds of new habits. So it was... Acting first. Yeah. Acting first. Like I'm going to go to the gym, even though I'm not in good shape. Yeah. And be a pro. Right. And be consistent. I don't know where this is going to go or if it's ever going to go anywhere, but I'm fucking going today. Yeah. And you can't convince me otherwise. I'm going to go today.
2: Well, and then with family. Because this is one thing that I've got to watch um, firsthand for you is I've, when did you get married?
3: I got married in 2010, November.
2: How long do you know your wife before that? Ooh, three years. Right.
3: You're one of the guys that's like, I knew. Yeah. Uh, not right away. Okay. But I knew when I decided to ask her, I knew. I was actually a, quite the little self-discovery process. I remember becoming... you
0: and I had a conversation about a toothbrush once.
3: Yes. The toothbrush story. That shit's real. Yeah. Well, and for me,
2: you were a big advocate for me to shit or get off the pot. That's literally what you said, which I, I probably
3: wouldn't use that it's term so anywhere else in my it life. It is yeah. very romantic. But you were like, you got to make a fucking decision,
2: man, because you're, you're going to create a lot of harm here if you just keep dragging your feet. Yeah. And
3: that's what the toothbrush story is about. Is the same thing. It's like, are you going to commit to this? Are you going to give this the fair shot? Are you going to give this thing that you've been trying consciously to manifest for years? Are you actually going to go through with it? Because if you're not, you're gonna, you're gonna, you are going to create harm.
0: Give us the toothbrush story because people are going to be like, what's he talking about? <laughs> it's a good story. Um,
3: my wife, when we were just dating, uh, we didn't live together or anything, uh, she was spending the night more and more often. And she got up one day and she was brushing her teeth. And I was like, that's not my toothbrush. She's like, no, it's my toothbrush. And I'm like, what's your toothbrush doing at my house? <laughs> right? And needless to say, that created an argument that was like ended with her leaving and us not talking for a day and in that <clears throat> but that that produced a conversation right that opened up the doorway of communication around where do you want this to go is the what is this to you and we were both able to kind of ask and answer those questions and the result was well then why don't we plan on start finding a place and eventually we found a place together that we both picked out and we lived together a couple of years, and then marriage was very similar. It was. I called my sponsor like, "Hey, listen, I'm at a place where I'm either going to break up with this girl mm-hmm. and break her heart, or I'm going to marry her." He's <laughs> like, "Oh, you're scared? <laughs> you're scared of commitment?" And I said, "Well, I guess I've never done this before, and uh, and I don't know that I'm ready to be to not be single ever again." Yeah. And it's not like I wanted to go out and whore around necessarily, mm-hmm. but theres it's so much more than sex that we're talking about. We're talking about, like you're married. Mm-hmm. We're talking about the finding a common ground on literally every aspect of your life. Right. There's nothing that's going to be untouched. It doesn't mean you have to compromise. It doesn't mean you have to be inauthentic, but it does mean you have to cooperate yeah, it's and exactly coordinate. Yeah. And it's, mm. its it's a lot, dude. It's a lot. And anybody who gets married flippantly just cavalierly like oh we just love each other so much like yeah good luck with that y'all better start talking right and figure out if you guys are really compatible when the thing when things get messy because life is messy
2: well and did your grandparents who are your parents model for you what a good relationship was there are aspects about their relationship that were that are that are notable yeah right well how did you because did you take that same ideology that you've been saying you've used is like the action first like I'm just a good husband now that's what I am now and kind of learned because I know you guys have been through some trials and I want to talk about them sure but for you it's like how is this being in a relationship how did you manifest knowing what to do or or you're just figuring it out constantly oh we're
3: just figuring it out constantly and having the humility to listen when, when, uh, when my partner opposes me, as opposed to just getting defensive. And that's easy to do, and I've done that many times, so I'm not going to say that I haven't. Right. But having the wherewithal, at least at times, to have the humility to say, okay, I'm listening to your feedback. In my head, I'm like, you're fucking wrong. Right. But verbally saying, okay, I'm listening to your feedback. And by the time she gets done talking and I calm down, it's like, okay, like, We can meet in the middle somewhere on this. This isn't as bad as, I've, as my, my fight, flight, or freeze instinct is telling me. Oh, <laughs> That's telling me you're wrong, but I'm listening to the words you're saying, and if I were in your shoes, I can see your point.
2: Yeah, I mean, I can remember feeling in fights that me and Becca have been in the first time when I was like, oh, my God. I'm completely wrong. And like there was no way out of it, but admitting it, like I couldn't talk around it's it anymore. Healthy. It's right? healthy, Like I'm defeated, man. And I, I was like, you know, everything I've been arguing about for the past 15 minutes, like you're right, you're, you're right, you're actually, I'm not just saying you're right, you're actually and that's a, right.
3: And that's a muscle, the more you exercise it, the better you'll be able to use it. Right. You'll be able to use it when it's, when, it, when that's the accurate result, when you are wrong, just be able to be like, ah shit, I was wrong on that one, honey, sorry. My bad. Deeply. What, wrong. Tell me the details of your side again, because I'm now on your side.
0: And maybe I don't <laughs> know if you've had this experience, but I'll have I'll have similar you know experiences with uh, with my partner. And uh, part of me will be like, I'll just be quiet and I'll listen and I'll hear to what she has to say, you know. But like part of me is like, don't be a bitch. <laughs> don't be a bitch. Stand up for yourself. <laughs> you have those voices too, uh-huh. and do you realize that they're more than likely extremely delusional as well?
3: Yes. And here's, a, here's, here's, a, here's an acid test that I've used over the years in multiple relationships, but obviously many times with my wife because we're so close. So I do the social engineering thing. When I have a, what seems like the beginning of a pervasive problem with somebody that I have to be around, mm-hmm. whether it's work or family or something like that, and it seems to not be going away. I I bring awareness to it like, okay, I have an issue with this person. There's an issue between us. I am going to do everything I can to be completely benign and see if it still occurs. And I would say at least 50, 60% of the time, it ends when I do that. And then it is like an M. Night Shyamalan movie. It's like, oh fuck, I was in the wrong the whole time. I'm the bad guy. (laughs) Evidently, I quit being a dick. And I was just neutral, and all of a sudden the problem went away. <laughs> you
1: got kind of a Bruce Willis vibe.
3: <laughs> and and that's the thing I think about being a dick um, with people that you're close to. I don't think, at least for myself, I don't realize that I'm doing it. I'm just being me. I might be being assertive. I might be standing up for myself or standing up or being passionate about a value that I hold that I hold in high regard. Yeah. But at the end of the day, if I can, if I can. Socially engineer my behavior to just be kind of vanilla mm-hmm. with a person that I seem to have conflict with, and then the conflict disappears and we get along great it's clearly it's clearly an outcome that's produced by me if i'm if i if I can retract and be and be neutral and the problem continues to occur, then it's there then it's a problem with them and my and my spider senses right and I can trust my intuition and we can try to find a work where a workaround
2: No, that's a really good problem solving. Uh, Tactic that you have there is like fix everything in you first, and see if it still occurs. And if it doesn't, then you probably you know partly to blame, if not all the way to blame.
3: Right. And I don't have to necessarily. And you said fix, and I don't. And not to be semantical, but I don't have to fix anything. I just have to not, not be so much, just not so assertive. Like just kind of be a bitch. Yeah. Exactly. (laughs) (laughs) I just need to not be a bitch about it. Just let let the conversation play out and not and not interject myself too hard.
0: And where's that come from? Because, uh, right, you've talked about awareness, you've talked about action. Now, does this come from reading? Does this come from trial and error? Does this, where does this, is it? Is it prayer meditation? Like, what is it? What helps you come to this different social engineering kind of uh, uh, problem solving type it's, of attitude?
3: It's all of those things. Um, I think meditation brings uh, an element of reverence holiness, if you can digest that word. Right. And that's a tough one sometimes with people. But to me, that's what it feels like, reverence and holiness around human life. Because I didn't before. I didn't revere it at all. I was actually misanthropic before I got sober. Mm. And then kind of thrust into this world full of people that I realized I didn't mind were here. And then over time, you know, what I've realized... Is that I actually love people, and human relationships—the most important part of my life—they literally make up the fabric of my experience. I hate to—I hate to transition, but <laughs> Feel free. we have
2: uh, twelve to fifteen minutes, and I know that when you start to touch on the spiritual realm, what I really want to talk about is a little bit of adversity. Okay. And I know that you and your wife had been through a terribly tragic situation in what, 2015? 2014. Uh, 14, yeah and so I want to talk about that a little bit and then I want to come back to the spiritual side because for me I have you know had my instances where I've had these uh, existential crises in my mind where or I'm questioning bitch. yeah where I am being a bitch and, I, and I'm questioning everything and when I look at some of the things that you've been through being where I'm at currently um, it's a terribly invasive question for me to ask but I wanted to sort of talk about what you and your wife went through and see if I can bring it around to asking some questions about how you held on spiritually through all of that stuff.
3: Sure. So I'll predicate this little story with um, my brother Glenn died when I was uh, about two years before I got sober. Right after I hit a year of sobriety, my brother Jack died. Jack is the one that I modeled subconsciously, have modeled my life after. Um, then, at a year and a half, my my dad died. My bi- not my biological, my grandfather. Mm-hmm. Then, when I was 10 years sober, my son, which we'll unpack. Mm-hmm. And then, um, no, I'm sorry, just before that, at 10 years sober, I lost my mom, who I had a strong relationship with, and then my son. And then, uh, just this year, Scott Wallace, my biological father, passed away. So, <clears throat> so three of my four legal siblings are now deceased, both my parents and, uh, and our first child and each one has been unique Uh, each relationship the loss of each relationship and how to manage day-to-day life has varied quite a bit between each of those Um, but with shepherd specifically um, so for anybody that doesn't know me or this story uh, my wife and i wanted to have a home birth we planned a home birth we did not have a doctor we had a midwife and a doula. Uh, our son was healthy. Uh, we had a we had an ultrasound. We had a couple of ultrasounds. The most recent one, it was maybe at like six or seven months gestation. Big, healthy child. Male, which would have made my mom happy had she still been alive. I'm the last male Wallace in my family, and all my brothers had girls. And uh, it turns out he had... Uh, what's called a velamentous cord insertion so it's where the umbilical cord uh, would normally uh, be connected at the very heart of the placenta instead it was connected to the veiny membrane on the outside so normally they're very weak Uh, when your when your son is born you'll be able to hopefully cut the cord and you'll see firsthand how how leathery how thick that tissue is but the veiny membrane on the outside is weak and thin and so he got plenty of blood flow oxygen nutrients back and forth but as he grew at eight and a half months gestation he rolled over in her tummy in the middle of the night and it pulled the pulled the veins apart and he suffocated in the womb uh how far eight and a half months he weighed he weighed as much when he was born as my next child my daughter did when we brought her home from the hospital so he wasn't it wasn't a miscarriage it wasn't like oh we never like i held him in my arms For many, many hours, my sponsor and his wife came down and held them. Patty, Patty's my sponsor's wife. Patty held my son, my son, Shepard in her arms for at least two hours. I mean, it was, it was uh, probably the hardest thing I've ever, I've ever had to sit with. And we've had miscarriages before, just to be completely transparent. And those weren't necessarily easy. But by comparison, me being a male, not having had any connection, you know, uh, before birth, holding his lifeless body in my arms, you know, a connection is formed. The possibilities, the future, and all of that vanishes. Uh, he was cremated. We keep him. Uh, we keep his in a tiny urn like this, and uh, his uh, keep that in a picture of him right. Because I have lots of pictures of him. He was born. He has a birth certificate. Yeah, I know. Uh, But we keep him right on the bathroom counter, so I see his picture every day, and and, uh, his his younger sisters talk about him, and they ask questions.
2: So So, how did you and your wife do after that? And I I don't mean to be insincere. I mean, it's terribly... I'm terribly sorry, and I've told you that over and over um, throughout a relationship. How did you guys survive
3: that? Um... I want to say uh, God, uh, love for each other, love independently for ourselves. Mm -hmm. Uh, I think there's losing anyone, losing anyone that's close that you have a deep affection for is very, very hard on the spirit. I've watched family members go through it. I've been through it. And most people... Uh, you know, when you're in your 20s, or say even by the time you're 30, have lost a grandparent or something like that. um, To have lost someone really close to you, really close, uh, is, is heartbreaking at a whole, at this whole other level, that you don't, you don't get over it. It's not a breakup. It's not something that you move past. Um, Those that have, that have dealt with grief and loss uh, all kind of speak the same language and that's the healing process is one where you be, you begin however ineffectively learning how to manage day-to-day life with a new with a new normal with a new default setting that includes a whole fuck ton of heartbreak i mean it's it's really that simple you learn how to go to work even though you're heartbroken you learn how to go to birthday parties and do christmas and well, and you guys did more than that. You did more
2: than just get back into life. You guys went back at it. You guys went out and tried to have more kids and,
3: and successfully. We did. We did. Um, and I got to tell you, uh, eight, seven, eight months into our pregnancy with our with our first daughter, Fuck. Nicole looked at me and she said, if this baby doesn't make it, I'm done. Right. And you know, with tears in her eyes, and I said, I get it. Yeah. I
1: get it. Was there... A lot of, maybe misguided isn't the right word, but just like nowhere to point anger. Oh yeah, yeah, and yeah. Did it did it come across with the two of you, or was it? Were you guys able to kind of capture it and and direct it the right way?
3: Uh, that's that's probably the best way to say it. We I don't know that we did it the right way necessarily, but we certainly didn't do it the wrong way. Yeah, we didn't cast blame at each other. Um, the blame wasn't inward at all, and we didn't, and we didn't really blame uh the medical community uh there are there are ways we could blame um the the person that gave us the last ultrasound for example it can't the his what the his condition could have been detected on an ultrasound uh it is detectable but it's not looked for actually the protocols uh, it's not it's not something they look for because it's pretty rare it's not so rare that it doesn't have a name or something like it happens the cord insertion is an unfortunate uh circumstance that happens to lots of babies in this country and around the world but they don't look for it automatically it's something that you have to ask for specifically and believe me on our subsequent pregnancies we asked we're like <laughs> let's see the placenta and the insertion point with the cord please they're like oh that's fine I'm like no it's fucking not fine yeah we're gonna need, we need more need than a, it's fine I want to see high resolution
0: yeah 1080p <laughs> 3d I want to see this thing
2: Uh huh.
3: how long after was Everly born 10 months The Irish twins Irish twins, 10 months apart. Wow, man. He and was May 26th. She's born March 11th. Beautiful.
2: You guys got right back into it. And how are how's everything now? Tell me about being a dad now.
3: Oh, it's amazing. I love being a dad. Yeah? Yeah. Um, firstborn gets the benefit of all of our attention. <laughs> also gets the uh, disadvantage of no one to model after. Except people that are so far advanced, you know, adults, it's it's very difficult, and I see that play out in in her younger sister, in Isla's her little transformation. I call it little; she's just little. In her big transformation, you know, as she's becoming gone from being an infant to now being a toddler, um, she does she gets the disadvantage of our attention being divided. Mm -hmm. You know, not just between each other and work, but between another child that we need to care for, and guide and love. But then. She also has the advantage of she can model after this other little tiny person, so she's walking and talking at like lightning speed. She's yeah. picked up, she's picked things up a lot faster than I really did. Not because she's any smarter, just because she has she has a role model built into her experience, mm-hmm. just always there. She's like, what's she doing? I'm gonna do that, and it's like, you, all right, cool. Don't don't hurt yourself. <laughs> she's four. You're. <laughs> one (laughs) well and and has
2: your purpose shifted like how has that been for you because your purpose before was i'm going to be a uh rad dude that helps a ton of
3: people sure well now you got these babies running around yeah so that it fits right in i uh i get to be a good dude not just to my wife but to my but to my little ones yeah and uh and and try to teach them how to be good to each other how to be good to their to their friends their little social circle and how to be helpful you know, we're at a tough age right now where being helpful is not that's not like a built in thing very selfish time the toddler years, but really, I'm hoping that over time uh, we can impress upon them the huge benefit to the to society and to themselves to be helpful to people. That's what we're really hoping for,
2: yeah, absolutely well. As we come to the end, and this thing flies by every time, I always get sad because it's like, man, we need another hour. Why are we
0: even finishing, dude? Let's just keep going, (laughs) man. You're so strict about time, dude. Why don't you just loosen up a little bit, dude?
2: I want you to sort of give me a little bit of insight, give our listeners a little bit of insight on someone struggling, whether it was with alcoholism like you were talking about, and I think it even parallels really well with the grief that you're talking about going through, is... A little bit of hope maybe a plan of action for somebody that's going through that stuff um so that our listeners can kind of hear it and go wow you know this is a guy that's been through it and if he's saying you know this is maybe the route to follow i know you're not going to have perfect directions but
3: you know synthesize an ideology for us <clears throat> well one one component i think that's healthy uh is going to be being able to process with other people so in processing with other people that understand which can be uh touchy subject people don't like to talk about dead kids so if you know someone if you if you've lost a child and are struggling you need to find somebody else who's lost a child or has lost someone close so that you can talk to them and be able to bounce some ideas back and forth and banter those concepts back and forth for because for me it was a big there were big spiritual questions Mm -hmm. that had to be answered they couldn't I couldn't help but ask them it wasn't like an existential journey like what's my purpose? What's going? It was like who the fuck is responsible for this? I have I have I want to know I want to know is this a part of a plan? Is this the plan? Cuz if it is, I'm out of here. You get in the finger and I'm going to go eat a bullet this afternoon for lunch. Is this testing me? Same outcome. If this is a test, I'm done. Right. I'm done with your tests. And those types of questions have to be asked and answered. They don't have to be asked, but I mean, for me, and I can't imagine anybody else going through something like this, not asking those types of questions. Um, And having somebody you can talk to that has been through it, I would highly, highly recommend if you're going through real grief and loss to talk to a licensed grief and loss counselor, someone who's a therapist who can work through modality, take you with an, with a, you know through some progress that can push you help help you push yourself to a place where you can manage life again because it can be debilitating losing someone close to you can it can rock your world in a way that very few other things can and that would be the biggest thing find someone you can talk to if you can find somebody that's a, a licensed therapist that's ideal maybe a mix um on the flip side of it finding finding your own finding your own relationship spiritually maybe deepening whatever your relationship to the spirit of the universe is through that process is what enabled Nicole and I to grow you know that's what worked for us as we were able to ask and answer those questions and then build on that versus <clears throat> versus you know just blind faith in some plan or something like that you know because we're not we're not christians so we don't we those answers weren't good enough for us those you'll see him again someday really i'll knock your teeth down your throat if you mention him again like how about you not talk about that i appreciate that you have a well intentioned comment because you feel because you see my pain you feel obligated to say something but just don't why don't you just tell me how your fucking day was
2: (laughs) how did you compartmentalize it because you kind of talked about like you needed to ask those questions and get answers to it but i haven't heard you tell me what your answers were
3: well for me i found i found a deeper a deeper context for for my concept of a higher power and by my concept i don't mean my god i mean i'm trying to take ownership of something i'm I've just had a, I've had a deeper understanding of the power that I relate to, which is the one power, which I think all religions have their own version of one power. like right, right we're all we're all trying to take different paths to the same mountaintop. That's how I view spirituality. and for me, it got me further up the mountain. I don't know if that's too vague Mm-mm. to I think, like if you think about step three when you're new, you're like, how do I figure out God's will? And your sponsor's like, just don't do what's not God's will. And you're like, okay, I can kind of do that. Right. That's sort of been my spiritual path, um, especially after, after loss, has been, well, <clears throat> what, is, what is God? If God's going to get me through this, so to mm-hmm. speak, what is God? Well, I don't have that answer per se, but I do have, I can also ask myself, is God testing me? And go through and go through the pain of asking that question. And the answer I came up with is no. No, there's no test. This isn't a test. Okay, so did God take my son from me? That's another question I asked. And the answer I came up with was no. He wasn't stolen from me. He didn't belong to me to begin with. We're all children. We're all wild animals wearing vans. <laughs> you know? We're wild animals wearing shoes. And <clears throat> nature is a, is a beautiful... In violent whirlwind of energy, man. Sometimes babies die. Sometimes people get hit by buses. Mm-hmm. Sometimes human beings <clears throat> subjugate entire other species for food production. I mean, I don't know how else to say it. It's a gnarly thing that we're a part of. Right. This experience. Think about the poor chickens, man fucking chickens dude dude don't don't even don't, give me don't get fucking started
0: I just cursed now dude oh my gosh
3: but it's, the, it's but that plays a role in my in my view of spirituality you hear and I hear people when they're questioning like they're trying to get their arms wrapped around spirituality because they need to get sober and they're like well how can there be a god if he lets all this stuff happen I'm like does it have to be in that tiny little framework of some puppet master Santa Claus that rewards and punishes? Can, are you capable of imagining or conceiving a, a, different, a different layout? Maybe it, doesn't, maybe it doesn't work that way at all. Have you considered that? Because the reason it's hard for you to wrap your head, for me, I won't speak for anybody else's beliefs, but the reason it's hard for me to wrap my head around that is because I don't think it fucking exists. I don't mm-hmm. think it's real. I don't think that God punishes. I don't think God's a person. I don't think God is a is some dude with a naughty and nice list. I don't think that at all. I don't think he stole my son. I don't think he took took my son. I don't think he's testing me. I don't believe I'm going to see him again one day. I believe that the energy that is in all of our bodies, and the bodies of these cats, the bodies of the grass outside, the, the electrons in the cement in the floor, everything, all comes from the same melting pot, that's what I believe. The force. Sure, yeah, sure. I believe we're all droplets in the same, from, the same, from the same river, and I believe we'll be returned to that. I don't think we'll ever leave it. But this experience that I'm consciously having, I think is a one-off. I don't know what I think about reincarnation. I don't know if I'll have another shot at this as some other person or some other animal or some tree or something, I don't know. And honestly, I don't care. I don't care. That doesn't, I don't need, I don't need the answer to that to get on with going to work today, even though I miss my son, because he'd be five. He'd be in kindergarten now. I don't need the answer to that, but I do need to know if I'm being tested or if this is all part of a, I don't believe in predestiny. There's another, there's another gem I came up with out of this. I kind of did believe in predestiny before this happened. Everything happens for a reason. I was like, yeah, everything does happen for a reason. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, yeah. I see the synchronicities everywhere, it must be part of this grand plan, and, and that's fine, I'm not trying to knock that, Knock that if, that, 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 if, if that's what you guys, if that's what anybody <laughs> listening, if that's what, if that's been your experience, then great, I want you to see the synchronicities, I want you to see, to me, those synchronicities are less representative of a predestined or preordained, preordained plan, and more part of a rhythm that happens, that's dynamic, that's happening now, that's part of a rhythm, and I need to sync up with the rhythm that's where i find spiritual growth that's where i'm not trying to just drown in the ocean man i did that for a long time i'm i'm learning how to surf i want to ride the waves i've been watching other people catch them for a long time and i'm tired of just hanging out in the kiddie pool man i want to i want to ride too and that's where i see that's where i see the growth happen that's beautiful man thank
2: you thank you for going so far in i really really appreciate it and i think that listening to you uh it makes sense to me why how you're doing okay and still living you know what i mean because uh you know like you said life can be incredibly tragic and violent and hard um but you know you come in here and being as brave as you are is helpful it's
3: also full of laughter and love there you go and music right
0: in a full fridge full fridge <laughs> you <laughs> yeah, like that line yeah dude i you know fridge I do.
3: full of food house full of love
0: mm-hmm Anthony, you're fired. Estel, you're hired. We're not going to yeah, be guests switch anymore. switch it out. I'm <laughs> <be the first laughs> no, 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 no. Listen, no guests, just Estel talking. Oh
3: man, that's it. <laughs>
2: just let him interview me
3: next week. dude. No, dude, get out of here, man. Why don't you come over to Cornerstone? I'll interview for Cornerstone. <laughs> okay, thank you.
0: All right, man. Hey, thank you guys so much. Don't forget to like and subscribe on YouTube and all the other platforms. Don't forget about Butt Out E Cigs promo code Last Week Out. Get your twenty percent off. Yeah, pitch Cornerstone, dude.
2: Let the people know
0: cornerstone yeah cornerstone. cornerstone healing center get a free oh, are you talking about the cornerstone the the most integral part of a of a structure that without <laughs> it it'll fall and just to ashes not ashes it would have to be caught on fire but rubble. to rubble yeah. well cornerstone healing center man is a great place dude <laughs> And I don't really know much about it, but I do know this. I know it's out there, and it's helping a lot of people, man.
2: Yeah, check them out on Instagram. Is it
3: Cornerstone Scottsdale? It's Scottsdale Cornerstone. If you come in, take a tour, you get a free T-shirt. They say fun shit like Sober AF or Heavily heavily Meditated. Heavily Meditated, dude.
0: Mm -hmm. Thank you, guys.
2: Yeah, thank you, guys. Mm -hmm. Thank you, Estel.
3: Thank you. Seriously. See
2: you guys next week.